everyone. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Freshfields MedTech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Stacy Hostetler, who's based in San Francisco and is a co-leader of Egon Zender's MedTech practice. Her work spans med devices, diagnostics, biotech, and like me, she has a particular focus on digital convergence in healthcare. What I also love is that she's passionate about supporting the next generation of female leaders and is also a foodie. Thanks so much for joining me today, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited for the conversation. Fantastic. Maybe let's start with a big picture question. What inspired your work in the medtech industry? Sure. So like many people in college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I had a deep interest and appreciation for science. And so I decided to pursue a microbiology degree as the major. Thought for a minute, maybe I would go to med school and quickly ruled that out and decided I really wanted to get into some sort of work situation more quickly than that would require. And realized that although I love science, I probably would not be best served behind a lab bench. And if I could find a way to combine more of a people affinity with science, then that's probably where I would be best suited. I grew up in Indianapolis where Eli Lilly is based. And so the thing that I knew best was pharmaceutical sales. So I thought, okay, maybe that's what I will do. But I ended up doing an internship with a med device company in the town where I went to college called Cook Medical and totally fell in love with the device space and the ability to be able to actually shape a product and a technology where it's not just a molecule that sort of is what it is, but be able to really make improvements and see tangible innovation happen within the healthcare space ended up being a really appealing fit for me. I love the way you articulated that. You know, I I do think one of the nice things about kind of med tech, regardless of where you are on the spectrum, is just the fact that it's fundamentally faster to get something to market and that it takes on this kind of evolution, as you put it. And then as regulatory complexity, as the way we think about IP and protection, AI, machine learning, all of these different puzzle pieces come together in this very interesting way. And you know, one of the themes that's come up on a number of our different podcast conversations are how this complex interplay of things like IP, in the FDA, EMEA, regulatory matters, antitrust, and data privacy come together in med tech. And so everyone in the field just has to have a growth mindset because we're constantly, you know, working in an environment that's changing. Absolutely. Well, and that we have an opportunity to change the environment too. The number of paradigm shifting therapies and technologies that have come out in the past decade, even in the past six months. I mean, when you think about the acceleration of digital health broadly during COVID, it's amazing. I I talked to a leader not long ago who said, "I, I think that COVID accelerated things by 10 or 15 years where it would have taken a lot longer had we not had that sort of push and a real drive and a very clear need for more telemedicine and more digital interactions for patient care. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we noted in our latest MedTech newsletter update was that some of the regulatory changes that people thought might be temporary, you know, during the pandemic are clearly here to stay. 
the genie is out of the bottle. People have gotten used to greater access to care where they live, you know, on the time they want it, doing things asynchronously, doing things through text as opposed to physically face-to-face. I don't think there's any going back. No, I I totally agree with that. I think one of the interesting things to think about on the flip side of that, and we're probably getting ahead of ourselves in the conversation, but when I, I think about one of the inherent challenges, though, in the current environment, so all of us have, or many of us have, a little bit greater flexibility when it comes to working from home and these more hybrid environments, and in some cases for more tech services-based companies, they may be home full-time. How do you make sure that you're still building these connection points where innovation can really happen, where ideas can be shared, where you're having those sort of water cooler discussions? And we talk to a lot of leaders all the time who are trying to figure that out, that you don't lose that, that special sauce and that ability to, you know, have these sort of frictionless ways of interacting bumping into each other, sharing ideas in a really organic way while still allowing people the, the flexibility and a bit more of the freedom that a lot of us have become accustomed to. So it's an interesting challenge for our space in particular. I think that's a great observation, right? I mean, especially when it is something that's so intersectional. I think there are a number of studies that have come out saying, you know, during the pandemic, the small teams grew tighter together, right? Because they were spending so much time together. But it was that kind of surrounding group of kind of random interactions or unexpected conversations or interdisciplinary sorts of opportunities that really disappeared. And when you're in this space, which as we talked about, is just so complex, you don't know what you're missing in a way. Exactly. Well, and not only that, so where my view of med tech today, although I had a long career path within industry and uh, marketing and product product management roles. Where I sit today, which is really focused on executive recruiting and talent development, assessment, team effectiveness, culture workshops and dynamics, what we're seeing is a lot of organizations had to hire in the midst of COVID. It wasn't necessarily as fast for the beginning of COVID, but really things caught up and we've had an extremely busy year and a half or so as pent-up demand really came to fruition. So what you're seeing now is there are a lot of people who actually onboarded purely in a virtual environment who are now figuring out, oh, wow, there are all these things that I didn't realize were norms, particularly if, let's say, that you're bringing someone from the tech sector into healthcare or vice versa, where maybe you weren't seeing and sensing some of the things that are just more difficult to observe, uh, cultural norms, the way people communicate, the way work gets done, how decisions are being made, what it's like to sit in those rooms with people and be able to just have a sense for reading the room. That's been a real adjustment as people have started to come back a little bit and are experiencing that and going, oh, wow, there's a lot that I, I might have been missing that I, I didn't quite see. So it's been interesting to help leaders also work through that as they are now coming together and figuring out how they can be successful moving forward. Oh, I'd love to explore that a little bit more. Maybe we can start with folks coming from tech into life sciences. What are some of the surprising experiences that you've heard when you're making that transition? And, you know, to be honest, I don't think they're necessarily surprising. It's usually things that people are, are generally aware of. 
but it's to a degree that maybe they didn't anticipate. The good news is in the, the health tech sector, there's less and less space between tech and healthcare and so much convergence that there's a lot of talent that exists between the two. So that's really shifted over time. But what I see, particularly with someone leaving a tech company to go to a big strategic organization within med tech, the speed at which things are, are done, the layers of both necessary and just sort of innate bureaucracy to that organization can be really shocking. And they know, they know going in, it's going to be a little bit slower. There are these regulatory things I need to think about. I know it's going to be different, but the degree to which it's different, the way that people communicate, the way decisions are made is often really, really shocking. And I think on the flip side, when you take someone who's purely coming from a more conservative healthcare background into tech, that they feel the opposite. They're like, wow, this pace is amazing. And they're often pleasantly surprised by how quickly they are able to make decisions, how quickly they can make things happen in a setting like that, while still trying to build, you know, oftentimes we're working with the C-suite or the board of an organization. They're also trying to set a tone to say, okay, we also do need to be building in some of these safety levers and some of these layers and processes that maybe feel quite antithetical to the storied history of that technology or that, that company, but it's necessary if you really want to be a healthcare-centric company to obviously make sure that you're following all of the regulations and guidelines that we have in healthcare that might be a little bit different. Yeah, I think you really nailed it, right? I mean, from my lawyer standpoint, you know, the core of what I do is help with complex collaborations, often involving both tech and life sciences companies. And even during the course of my career, I've seen some of the conversation evolve, right? I mean, even five to 10 years ago on the tech side, it was advising on no, like these sorts of regulations or this, just because it's called a draft guidance doesn't mean it's something it's that you- It's not optional. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then understanding how a positive relationship with the regulators is so critical and having them really be a thought partner. And so that you, if you have a seat at the table, can really inform where some of these cutting edge regulations are going and how they'll actually operate. And it's in many ways better to be part of the system rather than kind of looking in from the outside. You know, of course, you know, depending on what your business model is, right? I mean, there are certain things where you want to make sure you structure things in a way where it's more kind of enforcement discretion, it's relatively lower risk. But, you know, I mean, the more you get involved in personalizing things, if you're implanting things, right? I mean, you just end up in a space where that relationship with the regulator is so important. And, you know, I, I keep saying the regulator, but there are so many, right? You have to look at things from the data protection side, which I know is very top of mind for, for everyone nowadays. The antitrust side of things, certainly tech has become acutely aware of what competition authorities around the world are doing. And, you know, we're getting very clear signals that life sciences is next. And as you said, you know, as tech and life sciences converge, there's just going to have to be a new way of kind of working and navigating some of these relationships. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. 
And it, it's funny because when I think about the kind of dialogue that I had with organizations even five years ago, you talk to a lot of companies, I'm sure you heard this too, where these tech disruptors are saying, we're going to disrupt healthcare. We're going to disrupt the way that this is done. And I think that there is a realization of, okay, so maybe we're not going to disrupt all of it. Maybe there's a small piece of this where we can really have an impact. But to your point, playing within the system is really important because any one organization, especially in early stages, is likely to uproot an entire system of regulatory payment approval in and of themselves. And so being able to figure out how do I work within the confines of the these guidelines is, I think, where I've seen a tremendous and very profound shift in the thinking of health tech founders today. would love to hear a little bit more about your view of health tech founders. I mean, have you seen a greater you know, diversity in founders in recent times? That's something I feel like I see it, but you probably spend a lot more time really focused on, on that set of things. I think so. I think that there are more and more, for sure, as I, like you said, I'm sure you've seen from your side of the table, too. I do think it is still true that it's harder for female founders to raise money. There's plenty of data out there that's more informed than me on that topic, but that's certainly still very true. So I think there are very real hurdles for women who are starting organizations in this space, just like others. But the rise of both female investors, I think, really helps within that ecosystem. I think the rise in the interest and willingness to invest in femtech is really interesting as a specific niche. Whether or not that becomes something that um, we absolutely need, I think being able to think more broadly and allowing women founders to think outside of just female problems, I think will be also very, very worthwhile over time. But you are starting to see more and more of that shift, which is really encouraging. But I don't want to say that I feel like the problem has been solved. There's many, many more battles for us to continue the fight. Oh, yes, absolutely. Still very much a work in progress. I was at the Women's Health Innovation Conference in Boston last month, and it was just amazing to see just how the numbers of folks attending that have just gone up exponentially over the last few years. But you also sort of think like, oh, why do we even need like a women's health conference. It should just be part of every discussion. But um, I I think there has been a very important shift in thinking from like, oh, we're not going to look at women's issues. That's only half of the population to like, that's half of the population. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. there And there's a tension there, I think, in there being certainly a need to address women's issues, but also allowing women to think to think beyond that. And I think we need both. 100% agree. Do you have any advice for, I guess, particularly intersectional women, like women of color, who are trying to break into leadership roles in healthcare and in med tech? You know, one of the books I always recommend is Edge by Laura Huang, which talks about how you can really leverage what could be a point of adversity into an advantage. But would love to hear your thoughts. For sure. I think one of the most important things that really anybody can do for themselves is to get yourself a sponsor. And they don't have to be a woman. They don't have to be a person of color. But sponsorship is really important. And there's a lot of writing that differentiates mentors from sponsors. And I think there is a difference. And you need both. But 
sponsors are going to be the people who are going to put your name in the hat for promotions. They're going to be the ones who can advocate for you within the organization. They may not be the people you go to when you are having a moment of vulnerability, but they are the people who you need to champion you because they already have entree to the spaces that you don't have access to. So making sure that you're building those and being really intentional about thinking about the differences between your mentors and your sponsors, making sure you have both is really important. I think the other mistake that I sometimes see women making is that we try, myself included, we try to make ourselves invaluable. And that is great and it makes you really valuable for that role, but sometimes so valuable that they there's no way they can move you out. So always thinking about how do I develop the person behind me? How do I develop my team to have a bench so that should an opportunity open up, I've already been thinking about this and I have the perfect person who can backfill me. Don't make yourself so invaluable that you can't be moved. And that's something that I think uh, women in particular are at risk for doing and you don't want to back yourself into a corner. Such an important observation. I think so many of us who have gotten used to taking on that role as part of our success, it can keep us back from kind of leveling up in a way. I think that was one of the themes that uh, Sally Helgeson and uh, Marshall Goldsmith pointed out in their book, How Women Rise, which I think is also another must read in my in my list of uh, book recommendations. It takes kind of, you know, what got you here won't get you there and then tailors it for women in a very thoughtful way. Exactly. It's also a way, too, that you can think about giving back and becoming a sponsor and a mentor for people coming up behind you, too, as the manager or as a, an indirect mentor to someone in another part of the organization, that you can be doing that for someone else and you're actually doing them a favor and you're doing yourself a favor by investing in those people. Never be threatened by people who are really good who work for you. They are your best asset. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I, I know that we're running close to the end of our time. Would you like to share any closing thoughts on you know, med tech or more general kind of developments that you're tracking? Well, I think the only thing that I would say is I talk to a lot of companies that are in the intersection of healthcare and technology who say, well, we're really more of a tech company. And I think part of that is this hesitancy of wanting to adopt the healthcare moniker because it's there's a perception of it being slow and conservative and this organization wants to be different than that. I think every company in healthcare needs to own up to the fact that they are a healthcare company and know that it is a supreme advantage. People want to be attached to a mission. There was recently a study that came out from Egon Zender and A.T. Kearney about some of the differences and what different generations of people are looking for with regard to work. And one of the things that we found that was really consistent amongst all generations of people who are active in the workforce is a desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves and feel like they're contributing to something that is delivering good at the end of the day. So being a healthcare organization is a, an amazing advantage for you in recruiting really strong talent and people who really want to be a part of building something exciting that's going to make the world a better place. Fantastic. I love that as a closing thought. Stacy. thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's been a lot of fun for me too.
All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay tuned for the uh, next edition of the MedTech Podcast.